Brandon's World on this election day, Tuesday, November 8th, 2022. There will be a balance of power happening in politics this evening, but we also have a balance of power in Major League Baseball. We have a new World Series champion in the Houston Astros. We also have, of course, our NFL Week 9 recap, where we did really well in the money line, and we went 3 for 5 in our best bet. Plus, we have to talk about WWE Crown Jewel and that amazing cash-in failure attempt last night on Monday Night Raw with Austin Theory. All that is loaded into a jam-packed Brandon's world. Not only that, but Thursday, we're going to be coming on here. We're going to be talking about the NFL Week Number 10, our best bets and money line predictions. Plus, we're going to go over the new college football rankings and what I thought, obviously, of Alabama, LSU, Tennessee, Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, Clemson, all of these teams as college football is starting to become one of the most jam-packed regular seasons in college football in my lifetime. I wish we could do it today, but honestly, I think this show is going to be so packed you're not going to want to hear my voice anymore. And then on Friday, I'm going to be bringing on my good buddy, the only Washington Commanders fan that I actually like, in Austin Arnold from Let's Get It Straight from my Black Squirrel Radio Days. We're going to be previewing the Commanders-Eagles Week 10 matchup along with all things NBA, NFL, college football. And if we have time on that interview, we'll get to, the, to some World Series stuff but without further ado, you already know what to do. Follow me on Twitter at real underscore B-World. You can follow me personally at Brandon Lewis underscore seven. There's no better place to start off today by saying congratulations to the Houston Astros for winning the 2022 World Series. Everybody knows I am from Cleveland, Ohio. Everybody knows I am a Cleveland Guardians fan. Everybody knows I do not like the Houston Astros. Everybody knows I was rooting for the Philadelphia Phillies, like the whole world was, to winning the 2022 World Series. But I said, you know, the Houston Astros, they have made six consecutive ALCS appearances. Going into this World Series, they only had won one championship. Think about that. You have one championship in the previous five ALCS appearances. They did make it in 2019. They lost to the Washington Nationals, who did not have Bryce Harper on their team. Then last year, they obviously made it and lost to that great Atlanta Braves team that made all those moves at the trade deadline and got hot. But Houston in this scenario was the better team. I think you can see that they were motivated and Philadelphia, by the end of the series, their bats gave out, they got tired, and their bullpen and their starting itching depth was not at the amount of the Houston Astros. And listen, I don't know if Houston's cheating again. There are obviously some signs out there with the court bat that, that Albert Pujols uh, gave, you know, Modenado, um, and there's some other circumstances out there. But the fact of the matter is the Houston Astros this year were the best team in baseball. They had arguably the best lineup. They certainly added the postseason the best pitching 
Genoey, the bullpen, but in the starting rotation of death and his greatest Philadelphia was. Obviously, they got no hit in game four of the series. It kind of set the tone as well for game five and game six. Once Houston was down two to one, no matter what, I still felt like Houston was in control of the series. That no-hitter, even though it was a combined no-hitter, it still is the, uh, the second no-hitter in World Series history. Only the second no-hitter in World Series history. You have to give it up for Houston of that. And again, even though Philadelphia played Houston better in two of the three games in the series, I thought the last three games Houston really dominated, even though the scores were closed for most of the ballgame. Philadelphia just did not get that timely hit where they could not get that stop that Houston eventually ended up getting. And again, the good pitching and the good bullpen ended up overriding both teams who had a solid lineup. But that's not saying that Philadelphia's rotation is bad. You know, Wheeler, Noah, those guys are good to great starting pitchers, but they don't have the depth that Houston did. And the Houston Astros, even though they've only won two, World Series championships and one was tainted obviously because of the cheating scandal. You would have to say at this point they made six ALCS appearances. They've gotten two World Series out of it. We've seen how hard it is in baseball. You know in my lifetime we have not had a back-to-back -back World Series champion in baseball. That will tell you how, how hard it is. Obviously the Giants won it you know three and five years but that was every other year 2010, 2012, 2014. That's as close to a dynasty as I've gotten in baseball in my lifetime until the Houston Astros. And some of those years, the Giants didn't even make the playoffs, and then they ended up getting back to the World Series. So it's really hard. I don't even think off the top of my head the Yankees have done it. And early Houston overwhelmed the Yankees when it came to not only batting talent, one for nine in the order, but the pitching as well. The Astros are just a really well-rounded baseball team. We don't like them, okay? We know that they cheated. We know that reputation will be on them forever. I'm not even discounting the fact that they could potentially be cheating in this World Series. Because every time you're talking about the Houston Astros, you're basically talking about the Houston Cheaters. But the fact of the matter is, Philadelphia was a really good team. They weren't the best team in baseball this year. From start to finish, honestly, that was Houston. There was a reason why Philadelphia was third in the NL East behind the Braves and the Mets. Though I do think that the NL East has proven to be maybe the best division in baseball. And I think there's a lot of good competition. And I don't know if Philadelphia will get back. Again, you talk about the Dodgers, the Braves, the Mets. I'm sure the Brewers will make some moves. The Cardinals, the Giants seem whether they are on a kind of every other year basis. San Diego, obviously. So there's a lot of competition there in the National League. For Houston, Seattle's good, but they're not on Houston's level. Houston seems pretty confident to take care of the Yankees, and we'll see where kind of the Cleveland Guardians make, make their offseason moves to see if they can get closer to Houston. But right now, it does feel like the Houston Astros should be the favorite to make their seventh consecutive ALCS appearance. Though, again, Boston, New York, Tampa, you know, the Guardians, Seattle. To me, there's a lot more competition to make it there uh, in the American League than there is the National League, even at the National League overall is more balanced. Okay, let's get to our NFL Week 9 recap because I'm going to save WB Crown Joe and Austin Theory's Money in the Bank cash in for the last. So without further ado, let's get to it here. The Philadelphia Eagles 
taking on the Houston Texans. This kicked off Thursday Night Football, and my Philadelphia Eagles were obviously able to squeak out the victory, if you will. They did not cover the 14-point spread, but, man, I got to tell you, Philadelphia, the offense was looking really good, obviously. Jalen Hurts, Miles Sanders, Dallas Goddard, A.J. Brown. They can move the ball at will on you, but so could Houston. You know, running back uh, Damian Pierce had a, had a really good night. Houston was able to control the clock, run the football in Philadelphia, whose run defense is not the same with Jordan Davis in there versus when Jordan Davis is not in there. That is my one concern for the Philadelphia Eagles team. Though I did do an NFL tier list, it will be in the description on this podcast. I broke down every single NFL team in a tier this season. This is my third year doing the NFL midseason report card. It was the hardest to do uh, the NFL midseason report card this year. But I ended up listing the, the Houston Texans in, in, in kind of that lost season, if you will. They're obviously going to try to uh, negotiate Davis Mills. They're not really a bad surprise. They're just not a very good football team. You know, they have a defensive head coach in Lovey Smith. I think I might even list them in the uh, QB, you know, with a defensive coach tier. Because there's a lot of teams like that. Washington's like that. Pittsburgh's like that. The Saints are like that. Philadelphia, obviously, a Super Bowl contender. And, you know, I know people are looking at this schedule. You know, Washington, Indianapolis, Green Bay, Tennessee, Giants. Everybody's asking about if the Philadelphia Eagles can go undefeated. And Jalen Hurts has always said every road trip, even going back to his hometown in Houston, is a business trip. And um, I just really like the moxie of this Philadelphia Eagles team. They just really take it one game at a time. Okay, Minnesota defeats Washington 20 to 17. Now I did bet this game as part of my best bets. We got this spread at three and a half. Commanders ended up covering by half a point. That's why I have a point in football is one of the most important things you can do with betting the spread. But Minnesota, you know, they really struggled throughout this game. Taylor Heineke played well for three quarters for Washington. Kirk Cousins, Delvin Cook, they could not move the ball after the first drive. So they walked right down the field. You could really see they were trying to get new tight end EJ Hawkinson involved. But Minnesota, even though that they have won six in a row and are seven and one after that beatdown I'm filming in Monday night, I can't get over two factors with them. The first factor being outside of Green Bay week one, and Green Bay looks way worse than we all thought. They really have not been able to blow anybody out yet. They've won six straight games and six one-possession games. Yes, they are winning those one-possession games, and it is a skill. But they struggle early and often in games. They go on these laws offensively where Dalvin Cook has not ran the football well. Kirk Cousins has not played well in stretches. Their defense, obviously, led by Zedaria Smith, who came over to the Packers, has looked really good. And Washington, you know, you got to force Taylor Heineke into mistakes. They worked better with Heineke, though not great. I don't know how much longer Ron Rivera is going to survive there, though it looks like Heineke's going to probably be the starter there for the rest of the season. Washington, I don't think, is a very good team. I thought Minnesota should take care of business. And Washington, you know, who knows what's going on with the sale of Dan Schneider. We're going to obviously ask Austin Arnold that on Friday. But I really thought that Minnesota should have covered this spread and a backdoor cover by Washington is what ended up screwing us on one of our best bets. Okay, 
We got to get to this Packers-Lions game. Obviously, the Lions defeated the Packers 15-9. And I said on Thursday, I said, this is a bounce-back game for Green Bay. But I did not want to bet the Packers because I haven't seen the Packers do anything special all year. And I know the Lions always play their close games. Whether it's in the division, whatever it is, the Lions will always play close games. Usually they find a way to lose those games like bad football teams do. But they do find a way to usually play a close ball game. And this was another instance of that. Oh, again, Aaron Rodgers getting intercepted three times, two times in the red zone. Who would have expected that? And I completely understand that. But Romeo Dobbs went down in the game. You can tell Aaron still does not trust Christian Watson. Randall Cobb is still out. Sammy Watkins does not get that involved. You know, they, they're trying to bring on this kid tomorrow because outside of Alan Lazar, it is really all they have. And now defensively, they lost Rashawn Gary, who might be their best pass rusher for the season. And another, again, ugly loss where they just cannot get anything going offensively because defenses, and even the Lions defense, which is one of, if not the worst defense in football, only gave nine points to the Packers because it's not that hard to play the Packers this year. You stuck your safeties in the box and you force Alan Lazard and you force Christian Watson and you force Sammy Watkins and he forced these guys that cannot beat man coverage to beat you over the top. And Green Bay is a very, very bad football team right now. They've lost five in a row. They're not tackling correctly. And I would be very, very concerned here if I was a Green Bay Packer fan going forward. I mean, if you lose to the Cowboys this weekend, which they are at home against Dallas, and even though obviously the Cowboys are my NFC's rival, I'm going to pick Dallas to win that game. And if Green Bay votes to 3-7, and seven, at some point, I mean, what do you do? Do you chalk it up? Do you let Jordan Love, you, you know, play for the rest of the year? Do you see what you got in Jordan Love? Because we've seen three preseasons of him, and he's completely less than 60% of his passes in preseason. Green Bay is really stuck right now, and that was an embarrassing loss to Detroit. Now, the Chicago Bears and the Miami Dolphins. I did not expect the Bears to put up this much of a fight. Justin Fields is looking like he's getting better and better under offensive coordinator Luke Getze. And again, they just traded away Roquan Smith and Robert Quinn at the deadline. Now, their defense gives them a lot of points right now. Matt Eberflus, that's his side of the ball. He's trying to fix the defense. I bet you they're going to bring in some more youth and trap picks to fix the defense next year. But for right now, you can score on the Chicago Bears. But offensively, they are moving the ball. Darnell Mooney had a great catch on a beautiful throw from Justin Fields. And even though Chase Claypool did not get involved much as in the ball, I guarantee you that threat of Claypool opened it up for Darnell Mooney, and it opened it up for Cole Komet, and it opened it up for Justin Fields, who is doing nothing right now, essentially, but running around, making plays. And the Bears are staying in ballgames. It was really impressive to me. They put up 32 points on a Miami Dolphins team. And Bradley Chubb, their new addition from Denver, did not do much. Two attacks by Wallet, Tyree Kill, Jalen Watt over Heat Moser, Jeff Wilson. You know how explosive the Dolphins' offense is. They ended up not covering the game. They won the game 35 to 32. The spread was five. This was our second miss of best bet. So we get, you know, we won three of five. But on the contrary here, the other two bets we put it in, again, Commanders barely backdoor cover. Chicago got a white field going away to backdoor cover here against Miami. So we could have went five for five. Dolphins get a much needed win. The Miami Dolphins are undefeated with Tua Tagovailoa quarterback. I just want you to keep that in mind.
And up next, you got the New England Patriots. They took on the Indianapolis Colts, who have now fired Frank Reich. They have hired Jeff Saturday, which I'm not going to talk much about this game. It was Sam Elwanger against Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick's defense gave me 26 points in fantasy football. We knew this was going to happen. It's why it was one of my best bets to take New England and cover the uh, five and a half point spread easily against the, the Indianapolis Colts. But the Colts are train wreck. Jim uh, Mercer decides to hire Jeff Saturday, who has no coaching experience at the high school, college, or NFL level. Uh, the Colts are just trying to tag. There's a reason why they benched Matt Ryan and not for Nick Foles for Sam Ellinger. The writing was on the wall. Uh, this roster, their offensive line, outside of Quinn Nelson, is not as good as, as as what it once was. Jonathan Taylor, the great running back out of Wisconsin, is already starting to show signs of battle with injuries. And they do not have any speed on the offensive side of the ball. Alec Pierce is a pretty good wide receiver. Michael Pittman is a pretty good wide receiver. But they don't have speed. They probably need to draft another tight end or two as well, along with a deep threat that is not named Harris Campbell. Obviously, I think losing T.Y. Hilton really hurt that football team. And defensively, you know, they got some good names. Shaq Leonard, Kenny Moore, DeForest Buckner. But they're not making an impact on the game as much with Gus Bradley as their defensive coordinator that they were with Matt Eberflus. They're not creating turnovers. And this Colts team almost feels like it needs a reset. You know, the hiring of Jeff Saturday, an outside guy, to be an in, in interim and coach just feels very weird. It almost feels like a tank job. Jim Ursay now seems to be one of the most toxic owners in football. And the Colts are in a weak division. I don't think Tennessee is special by all that means. I think Jacksonville is a year away potentially. And obviously Houston is Houston. And they're a long way off from a rebuild. So they do have a couple of good defensive players. But they need to find their next single caller. So Indianapolis would be a good job if it wasn't for Jim Ursay. We'll see if Chris Ballard ends up keeping his, his, uh, gen his general manager title. But I really like Frank Reich. I mean, he's a smart guy. He resurrected the career of Phil Rivers. Now, he had Andrew Luck for that one year. The Colts were a really good football team. He tried to do what he could with Jacoby Brissett and Carson Wentz. Did not really work out. So, I want to see him. You know, if you want to give him to Vegas, who we're about to get to in a second, they blew another 17-0 lead, this time to Jacksonville out of all teams. You know, if the Chargers do not make the playoffs, maybe he goes and coaches Justin Erver. You know, potentially Russell Wilson in Denver. All those established commodities that I think Frank Wright could work with because I think he was dealing with an old and slow roster and an old damaged quarterback this season in Matt Ryan. I still really like Frank Wright. I think the culture tanking, and I'm not putting any stock in this game because we knew what was going to happen when it was Bill Belichick against basically a six-round pick that should be a second or third-string quarterback in the NFL in Sam Ellinger. Okay, I bet this one too. I bet the Jets plus 13 against Buffalo. I called it. I said, I'm not sure Jets are going to win this game, which, which they ended up doing 2017 on a late field goal. But I said, for sure, definitely, I'm taking the Jets plus the points. And I said, I would not be surprised if this came down to the wire. Listen, Zach Wilson is not throwing the football well. I'm not sure how much of contenders the Jets are in the AFC. If they were in the NFC, it would be a different story. But in the AFC, when you got Buffalo, when I realized they just beat them, and who knows the extent of Josh Allen's elbow injury at the end of that game. But listen, we know Buffalo and Kansas City are far and away the two best teams in the AFC. 
you have that. You have, you know, uh, uh, the Chargers. You have Baltimore. You have Cincinnati. And then you have Tennessee. So just take that right there, right? Buffalo, Miami, Kansas City, let's say, winner of the West. Let's say Baltimore, winner of the North. Let's say Tennessee, winner of the South. That's five spots. Okay, right? Because you've got Buffalo, Miami would be the first wild card. Obviously, Kansas City, um, Baltimore, and then let's say Tennessee. So you've got Cincinnati, the Chargers, and then the Jets, and maybe even Denver. They get on a roll, though I doubt it, but I think it's going to be Cincinnati and the Chargers, and the Jets will be fighting one of those two teams, and I would not take Zach Wilson over Justin Herbert or Joe Burrow in that scenario. I do not think the Jets are going to make the playoffs, but I think their defense is a really nice story. I think they need to get Zach Wilson some more protection. One good, legitimate number one wide receiver. I like Kira Wilson. I, you know, I think keep Elijah Moore. I like him. I like Barrett Tucker on the offensive line. I think they need a couple more pieces. But that defense led by Sauce Gardner, who may be one of the top corners in football already, is ready and raring to go. All right, one of the most disappointing teams in the NFL this season, the Las Vegas Raiders. And I picked Vegas, and I said both these teams, Vegas and Jacksonville, are desperate, and both of them are going to need a win. And Vegas came out desperate after Devontae Adams only caught one ball for three yards in the Week 8 game that the, that the uh, Las Vegas Raiders played. They bounced back uh, here in Jacksonville, and Devontae Adams got two touchdowns very early. He might have both been in the first quarter. And then Vegas again melted down. And for the third time this season, they have blown a 17-0 lead. It's one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. Last year with Rich Versace, they could finish off games. This year with Josh McDaniels, they cannot. Derek R seems like they have regressed. The offensive line seems like they have regressed. The offensive line is not in rhythm. The defense is at work and best. They can't stop nobody, even though they have two terrific pass rushers. And I think that this is just case in point. Josh McDaniels is a better OC than an HC. I think Vegas needs to move on. Sean Payton, Frank Reich, offensive mind, get someone experienced in there. They can run the short passing game, the West Coast offense. They can get Derek R back in rhythm and use Devontae Adams. Use Josh Jacobs. Use Darren Waller when out the use on a run throw. Use Mac Owens. And you know, get those short quick passing games to help that offensive line out and hopefully get leads, and then you can work on spending money, you know, in free agency on a corner or a linebacker even because, hey, you know, I don't like paying linebackers either, but Vegas needs almost every single piece on their defense outside of their two edge rushers replaced arguably. So I think Vegas needs to spend a lot of money on defense. I think they need to draft a lot on defense. You know, you can spend a little bit of a draft on an offensive line. But right now, this is like a big 12 team where they're winning by shootout, and they cannot close games. And for Jacksonville, they finally did it. They finally got over the up. They finally were, were able to close games. And they've been a little bit of a disappointment this year because Trevor Lawrence and crew have not been able to close most of the football games but they were to pull it out good for them. Okay, this was a wild game. The Chargers did not have uh, Keenan Allen. They did not have Mike Williams, and they were still able to pull it out. I said last week, I like the way Atlanta runs the football, but I'm not sure they could stop the passing game of Justin Herbert. And I said this was wild because there was a play late in the game where Austin Eckler fumbled. The Atlanta defender picked it up, and then he fumbled, and the Chargers got it back. 
which led to obviously the game-winning field goal for the Chargers by kicker Cameron Dicker. The Chargers have been dealing with a lot of injuries, but the fact of the matter is I believe they are right now 5-3. and three. And again, Brandon Staley this year, good opportunity. They are clearly the second-best team in the AFC West. The Chargers need to make the postseason. For Atlanta, they're a good story. They can run the football. They got Cordell Patterson back. Marcus Mariota is completing passes at a nice Iowa level. But a lot like Vegas, they cannot stop anybody. And their secondary needs a complete rework. And even though Arthur Smith is an offensive mind, I would spend all my money and in the draft this year on defensive capital. Outside of Grady Jarrett, the old defense needs a complete rework. Okay, speaking of rework, we know how P.J. Walker was 3 of 9 from 3 yards, a couple picks in the first half. We know Joe Mixon went crazy for the Cincinnati Bengals. It seems that the Carolina Panthers are tanking. They dropped a couple more other coaches they let go this week. Uh, it sounds like Sam Darnold may start this week. Carolina, though, with that being said, they played Atlanta really tough two weeks ago, and I think they got a chance to beat Atlanta this week. But that was just no match for a much superior team in the Cincinnati Bengals. It was, what, 35 nothing at halftime. I am not going to talk too much about this game. A good bounce-back victory for Cincinnati after being blown out by Cleveland on Monday night in Week 8. They bounce back here. And speaking of bouncing back, uh, Arizona's in trouble and the Seahawks are for real. That was my takeaway from the Seahawks victory over the Arizona Cardinals this weekend. One of only two games in the 4 o'clock window, I picked Arizona because I thought that with DeAndre Hopkins back, this offense would get back on track. And I don't know, man, how long can Geno Smith keep playing like this? And the answer is for nine weeks. Geno Smith has been unbelievable in this nine-week stretch for the Seattle Seahawks. They are running the ball. They are passing the ball short. They are passing the ball medium. They are passing the ball deep. They are throwing, they are running, they are moving at will offensively. Kenneth Walker looks like a top five to up and running back already in the National Football League. And that defense without Jamal Adams is flat out flying around. And Arizona's got a lot of trouble brewing on their hands. In my NFL report card, I put Arizona as one of the more disappointing teams, along with teams like Green Bay and um, you know, Vegas. Detroit, Indianapolis, as teams that I thought were going to be really good this year that have really disappointed. I put Arizona in that tier. And, you know, I like Kyler Murray. I think Kyler Murray is a special talent. I like J.J. Watt. You know, I like Zach Allen. I like Isaiah Simmons. You know, I love Buda Baker. I like a lot of their pieces on defense as well. But with Kingsbury, Kyler Murray, something there is not gelling. They get off to bad starts, and they do not look well-prepared or well-coached. On the other side, I got moving Seattle in tears while I was working on this report card for the last two weeks. I had them as a good surprise, but untrustworthy until that game Sunday. And now the fact that they are one and a half games up on the San Francisco 49ers, who just had their bye for the number one spot in the NFC West, you have to give it up to Seattle. They are the most improved team in football, potentially. Geno Smith, I think, is already the comeback player of the year. And the Seahawks are legitimate playoff contenders. Speaking of who are not legitimate playoff contenders, that is the Los Angeles Rams after they gave up that great game-winning touchdown drive 
but I'm ready to secure the Bucks' victory over the Rams. I picked Eva Bay. I thought it was going to be a low-scoring ball game. I thought Brady would have a game-winning drive. I thought Brady would win it. And now that they play Seattle this week in Germany, this could be the launch of the Eva Bay rebounding their season. Now, they certainly have a rough schedule. I think Eva Bay is going to win somewhere between eight and nine games. I think they're still going to win the NFC South because I think New Orleans is terrible. They got blown off the field by Baltimore. I think Carolina obviously is tanking, and Atlanta I don't think can match them. But for the Rams, they're in trouble because outside of Arizona, the Niners have their number, and the Seahawks just look better than the Rams. Matthew Stafford has really, really struggled this season. Last year, he was obviously playing like an MVP candidate at this time, but they replaced Robert Woods and Odell Beckham, essentially with Van Jefferson and Allen Robinson. It has not worked out. They couldn't trade Cam Akers at the trade deadline, and even with Daryl Anderson now, they cannot run the football, and they cannot block, and their defense is not creating turnovers. Jalen Ramsey only has one pick this season that was back early in the season, I believe week two, against the Atlanta Falcons. So the Rams are not a very good football team. They're not even a playoff contender. They're not a Super Bowl contender. I think they're the third best team in the NFC West, and I think they need to reboot. I think they need to drive some offensive line, and then they need to get a better defensive scheme. I don't think they make the playoffs. Well, for Tampa, again, if they get in here in the NFC South, they could be a very dangerous number four seed because of the history of Tom Brady in the postseason. We know it will be very hard to knock off Brady if they get those weapons healthy in time for the playoffs. And for some reason, Tennessee always matches well with Kansas City, though Malik Willis has no wide receivers. There's a great decision by Tennessee to get rid of A.J. Brown, wasn't it? Uh-uh. Well, Kansas City comes back, they bounce back in the second half after Tennessee and Derrick Henry ran the ball down their throat in the first half. Obviously, Kansas City ended up winning the game in overtime. And again, credit to the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes threw 68 times. I don't know about that. I think they certainly need to run the football a little bit more. But Tennessee plays very well against Kansas City. They were on their game in the first half. Kansas City figured them out, though, in the second half. Tennessee needs to be more aggressive when it comes to running the football with Malik Willis. I thought they would run Malik Willis more. I'm surprised they haven't. You know, Chris Collinsworth on the broadcast said it would open up more opportunities for Derrick Henry. And I agree with that. Uh, Tennessee did not do that. And that's why they lost. And that's why Kansas City won the football game. And I do think, though, that for right now, Again, after we were all bashing on Ryan Tannehill after that 0-2 start, I think, you know, because we're not in the building here, now we can see why. I don't think Malik Willis, with those receivers that they have at Tennessee, knows it. I don't think Malik Willis is ready to start yet in the National Football League. And by the way, Baltimore at the Saints. Ravens rolled them like I predicted. It was my last best bet. Baltimore minus three in Easy, easy cover. I believe the final score was like 27 to 13 or something like that. I don't have the score in front of me. But Lamar Jackson and Ravens ran the ball down the Saints throughout all night. The Saints started Andy Dalton in primetime, and that is a recipe for disaster. And that was our week nine NFL recap. We went nine and four and straight up money line. The games we missed were Green Bay. We picked Buffalo to beat the Jets, even though we got the Jets in the best bet cover. We picked Arizona to beat Seattle, and then our, our other game we got wrong was we had Vegas over Jacksonville. So those are the four games that, again, we got wrong. 
in our best bets. We hit New England minus five and a half. We hit the Jets plus 13. Hit Buffalo minus three and a half last night. Uh, but we missed Minnesota minus three and a half and Miami minus five. I apologize if I said Buffalo minus three and a half last night. That is Baltimore minus three and a half last night. Obviously, we are now 80 and 56 on the year in straight up money line, which is really good. We've been, you know, pretty odd the last couple of weeks. 26 out of 45. That's 58% in best bets. All right, and let's now get to WWE Crown Jewel because this was an exciting show from start to finish. The show kicked off with Brock Lesnar and Bobby Lashley. Obviously, a rematch of the Royal Rumble 2022. And unlike their match of the Royal Rumble, this one was a flat-out barn burner from start to finish. With Bobby Lashley attacking Brock Lesnar before the matchup, trying to get an upper hand of the beast, take out the knee, and for most of the matchup with spears and a spine buster and surviving an F5. Bobby Lashley down into Brock Lesnar. And Bobby even had Brock you know, in pain in the heart watch. But Brock was able to jump over the top rope, use his momentum for leverage, and pin Bobby's shoulders on his back while Brock was still stuck in the heart watch for the 1 2 3. I thought it was a great way to protect Bobby and Brock, especially because Bobby put the heart watch on Brock after the match, again, showing his emotion because Bobby Lashley feels like he is more of a beast than Brock Lesnar, and he wanted to prove it. By beating the Beast again, this time on his own without any shenanigans from Roman Reigns or Paul Heyman. And Bobby feels like he can beat Brock. And we are definitely set up for a rematch here down the line. Women's Tag Team Championship match, another good match. Now, I said I did not think Alexa Bliss and Asuka were going to lose the titles that quickly. I did not think it was a good idea to hot potato the titles between damage control and Alexa Bliss and Asuka, but that's exactly what they did, but it was because of the involvement, and I overlooked this in my predictions on Thursday, of Nikki Cross. Nikki Cross, obviously, with her history with Alexa Bliss, was able to hit that twisting neckbreaker on Bliss with the referee distracted while, while you know, they were fighting on the outside um, between uh, EO Sky and Asuka. And then I want Dakota Kai to cover Alexa Bliss to win the Women's Tag Team Championships. And now at Raw last night, we found out that Bailey, EO, Dakota, and Nikki will take on uh, Asuka, Alexa Bliss, Bianca Belair. Obviously, there will be one more member added to Team Bailey. I do think... Uh, Candice LeRae and somebody else will, will be added to uh, Team Bianca in War Games. I'm excited to see War Games on the main roster, and I think it's a perfect way to end this faction feud that has started ever since SummerSlam. Who knows if, a, if Becky Lynch is healthy, maybe Becky Lynch comes back, and maybe she is the fifth member for the War Games match. All right, Drew McIntyre and Karrion Cross. Now, this feud has felt really flat to me. Drew McIntyre ended up getting the win after climbing over the steel cage. After Scarlett once again used her pepper spray and tried to prevent McIntyre from climbing out the door. But McIntyre was able to go over the top, escape the cage. A wonderful surprise outcome here as well for me because I thought that Karrion Cross was going to walk away with a victory. I thought Karrion Cross was going to be, you know, uh, Booked to be really strong here, and McIntyre ended up going over, which tells me that they are not dead yet. And the idea of Drew McIntyre being a top star, it tells me Drew McIntyre could be involved in a War Games match here with Roman Reigns in the bloodline. I'm not sure yet where Karrion Cross goes. 
Next matchup, we got the Judgment Day versus the OC. And honestly, the most boring matchup of the night. You know, it was your standard tag team six-man tag where Rio Ripley got involved. That went to Finn Balor hitting the coup de gras and the Judgment Day to win. Last night on Raw, we saw the advancement of the story where Mia Yim, obviously, we all speculated Beth Phoenix. You know, maybe Charlotte Flair coming back to help the OC. And I said that even at Crown Jewel. There was no return, though. Mia Yim came back on Monday Night Raw. Mia Yim was a good worker in NXT, and now she's involved with the OC to take on the Judgment Day, and we'll have to see where this storyline advances. All right, next matchup, we got Braun Strowman versus Amos, and this matchup hit on every single level. I was impressed with the ability of Amos to pick up and body slam Braun Strowman with one arm, and obviously more impressed with Strowman to power slam Amos after he ran into the corner. A good big man matchup, and good for Braun for pulling out the victory. Next matchup here. We got the Brawling Brutes taking on the Usos. Now, we all know that the Usos were going to win this match because they're going to face the New Day on SmackDown for the Undisputed Tag Team Championship. The New Day obviously have the record at 483. The Usos will be at 481 on Friday when that match goes down. But I thought they did a really good job with some great teases. I thought Butch and Rich Holland here held their, their own with the Usos, who were able to hit a 1D from the top rope on Ridge Island to retain the Undisputed Tag Team Championships. Now, the next two matches on the card were the best two matches on the card, in my opinion. One of them being the last woman standing match, which had an incredible spot with Bailey using a golf cart, and Michael Cole saying that that, that was DWI driving while insane. Uh, between Bianca Belair and Bailey, you could tell the the urgency in Bailey to try to get this over with. You could tell Bianca Belair wanted to kick the crap out of Bailey. These two women had every you know use of chairs, kendo sticks, tables, ladders at their disposal. Really personal rivalry, and I thought it was a smart move by Bianca to pin Bailey, you know, underneath the turnbuckle with the ladder so Bailey cannot get out. It protects Bailey, but it keeps the championship on Bianca Belair. And after the tease we saw with Rio Ripley last night on Raw, it does feel like, as I said earlier, if Bailey did not win the Raw Women's Championship at Extreme Rules in that ladder match, which I thought she would, it does feel like that Rio Ripley is going to be the one to take the championship eventually off Bianca Belair. Could be at the Royal Rumble, or they could wait till WrestleMania. But this is a very personal feud between Bianca and Bailey. Every time they get in the ring, it feels like Bianca Belair defeats Bailey, and Bailey wants nothing more than to finally defeat Bianca Belair, even though she knows she can't do it. Bailey's girls are winning matches. Bailey is not. It'll be interesting to see that our dynamic, and obviously Roman Reigns, Logan Paul. Very entertaining main event. We all knew who was going to win, even though the drama was incredible. Logan Paul, unfortunately, tearing his ACL, MCL, and meniscus, it sounds like, against Roman. But what an incredible match. Now, obviously, the spot with Jake Paul and then Logan's podcast crew and all of that was great. It was very, very entertaining. Logan Paul, for his third match ever, put on a hell of a show in that, in that ring. But again, Roman Reigns, as we know, retained the Undisputed Universal Championship. Quickly, I do want to go over the fact that Austin Theory last night on Raw cashed in his Money in the Bank briefcase. And I got to tell you, this is one of the most funny things I've ever seen in the history of WWE. 
Um, to me, it shows that we are in a new era. This is the Triple H era. This is not the Vince McMahon era anymore because I don't think Vince McMahon would have Austin Theory cashing the Money in the Bank briefcase on a vulnerable Seth Rollins for the United States Championship and then have Bobby Lashley take out Theory. I think this means that Austin Theory was not ready to be world champion. I think it means that WWE did not know what to do with the Money in the Bank briefcase because this is a special situation because Roman Reigns, the tribal chief, is the universal champion. Austin Theory had teased as you know, Reigns multiple times. You know, you could say he finally just realized Roman Reigns is in God mode. He's the tribal chief. He's the head of the table. He's the needle mover, right? He's not going to cash in. And so because of that theory, he had to take his opportunity, and he wanted to win a championship. And Seth Rollins has made the case that without Roman there, the United States Championship is now the top championship on Raw. And they are making that case. But then it got for Bobby Lashley to screw Theory, for Theory to get curbed out, and for that to be gay. I thought it was a wonderful twist in the story. And I think Seth Rollins... Could be going on a little bit of a baby-faced turn. You know, maybe he's a tweener. The fans are really getting behind Rollins. It's almost like him in that Intercontinental Championship days back in 2018. The 10-year anniversary of Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns and obviously Dean Ambrose and the Shielders this month. It feels like Triple H is getting his guy Seth Rollins in position and again putting him over Austin Theory, who was way too impatient. Right, he's a young kid. He's only 24 years old. He was tired of owning that money in the briefcase, but now he doesn't have it. And the question is going to be, where the hell does Theory go from here? And that'll do it for today's Brands World. Again, thank you guys so much for listening to me today for almost 40 minutes as we got our Rip Road Crown Jewel, our, our NFL predictions, along with the, once again, congratulations to the Houston Cheating Astros for winning the 2022 World Series. And with that, I hope you guys get out today. I hope you guys go vote. Take your time. Very important to elect those officials as the world of power will be changing tonight in politics. That is all for today. We will be back on Thursday. I'm going to bring you down the latest college football rankings plus week number 10 in the National Football League. Our money line picks. Our best bets. That's all coming on Thursday plus on Friday. Austin Arnold from Let's Get It Straight from my days of Black School Radio. The only Washington Commanders fan I like will be talking Eagles Commanders Week 10 plus all things NFL all things college football, all things the NBA. There's a lot of stuff going on in the NBA that I did not get to today that I'll get to cover with Austin on Friday. And if we have time, again, we'll go over some World Series stuff. Make sure to check out my NFL midseason report card where I put every single NFL team at this point, the midway point of the NFL season, anyway, tier, Super Bowl contender, playoff contender, bad surprise, good surprise, defensive-minded coaches with quarterback trouble, and lost season. There's six years on that. It was one of the hardest things I had to do this season because it's been such a wild NFL season. You know, a lot of teams can go in different tiers. You could argue with me on social media, you know, different ways with that. But thank you guys so much for listening, and I'll see you guys on Thursday. Peace!